Over your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians. And we're going to continue our study there. So last week we highlighted that chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Philippians, it's four chapters long, was deep theology, um, the motivation for following God, some tools that we use um, to understand what it means to be a follower as sojourners, soldiers, and ambassadors of Christ. That's chapters 1 to 3. And then we saw that Philippians, uh, chapter 4 in Philippians, shifts from theology motivation tools to practical issues or problems or difficulties that are, are kind of general. They're, they're kind of applicable to everybody that will get in the way, that will stop our relationship with God, that will, that will get us off this track of following God all the way home. Last week, so we looked at uh, verse 1 with the challenge of make, make, keep going no matter what. Keep going no matter what. Philippians 4.1 Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So we said, keep going. It's with this analogy of traveling from Patagonia, Argentina, all the way to Pittsburgh as an analogy of making it all the way home. The first thing he says is keep going. That, and we saw that the beginning is exciting. Remember we talked about that? The beginning is exciting, but the perseverance is really hard. Um, that it's essential that we do it together. But then uh, I sense God also gave me this principle that I think is really important as we grow, as we try to stretch to become what God wants us to be. The capacity to keep going when it gets hard is developed by pushing through the hard stuff until it becomes the norm. The capacity to keep going when when you're in pain is developed by pushing through the pain until pain becomes the norm. The capacity to keep going when you're discouraged is developed by pushing through discouragement until discouragement becomes the norm. You see how this, this principle works? It, there's no magic fairy dust that the Holy Spirit spreads on you that gives you the capacity to, to be strong in Christ. No, he puts us in situations that causes us to have to do the hard things, the painful things, the discouraging things, so that we become skilled. And I gave the example of walking on the trail and snipers begin to fire at you. The first time, you're, you're, you're scared, you're, you're offended, you're surprised, and you're wondering, who, why are they shooting at me? But you keep walking on this trail, and after a while, snipers just become the norm. And you begin to spot them ahead of time, and you become very skilled at avoiding them, or even sneaking up on them. The capacity to make it all the way through this life in relationship with Jesus is by facing the hard stuff until they become the norm. So that we talked about that. Now we come to chapter 4, verse 2. And we find the first, so the first issue, he, you know, because he, he's been talking about making this trip and standing firm all along, but in verse 2, the first real practical issue that will get us off track, that will be an obstacle, that will be something that derails us, is when we get sideways with other people. 
The first one he talks about is problems in relationships, difficulties, conflict. So let's talk about how to get along in true unity no matter what. If we're going to make this trip all the way, how do we do it? How do we get along? How do we, have you, I've said it, have you said it? Why can't we all just get along? Right? Why can't we just get, because, well, I'll tell you why. You, you want to know why? You're, you probably already know why. Because in Genesis chapter 3, when the enemy got Adam and Eve to sin, it turned everything upside down. Now, the perfection in relationships has sin in, in the middle of it. And that's why we can't get along, unless we pull God into the equation. Amen. Let's talk about it. Number one, getting out of true unity is unavoidable. Getting out of true unity is unavoidable. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syndike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul addresses two ladies who've gotten sideways. They somehow have gotten um, in conflict. They, they're not agreeing in the Lord. They're not agreeing at all. Um, and, and what you ha if you're in relationship with anybody for any length of time, there will be some place where you disagree. Anybody want to say amen? amen? If you're in a relationship where you haven't disagreed with somebody, you haven't known them long enough. <laughs> you know, so we go back to the analogy of traveling from Patagonia to Pittsburgh. And in the beginning, and I put a bullet point there, at the beginning, it seems easy to get along. Because we're all on this trip together. This is an emergency trip. We've got this grizzled old guide that represents the Holy Spirit. We've got the manual that's the Bible. And we begin on this trip and, and we're fresh and we think we can do it. And we have hope now because they showed up. This, this guide showed up with nine other people. And now we're going to make it to Pittsburgh. He guaranteed us we're going to make it to Pittsburgh. All we have to do is just follow his orders and, and, and uh, do life according to this manual that he's given to us. And we'll get there. And in the early days, we're being kind to each other. Oh, no, you go first. I'll follow you. And by day five, you're going, get out of my way. What are you doing? I was going, it's my day to go first. And why are you eating all the grapes? Right? It doesn't take very long until we start getting sideways from each other. It's unavoidable. We're going to, you know, one of the things that I try to talk to young couples as they're planning to get married is you're going to fight. You're going to have disagreements. Oh, no, we won't. We love each other. I don't care if you love each other or not. You, if you're living with each other, you're going to disagree. You have no idea how you're going to disagree. It's unavoidable because the world's upside down and sin is in the middle of it all. <laughs> so last week I gave, I gave you some pictures of, at the beginning it's easy, but then it's hard to persevere. Well, at the beginning it's easy to get along too. So you go to, I gave you the example of an NFL training camp. Everybody's excited about it and everybody's getting along at the beginning until they start hitting each other on the practice field. And then tempers begin to flare and, and then the cuts begin to be made and now there's something to lose and all kinds of stuff happens. I gave you the picture of a couple having a new baby, right? In the beginning, it's exciting. 
But after a while, you start looking at each other. Why aren't you carrying your weight? I am carrying my weight. No, you're not. You're not carrying your weight. And then you start keeping score. <laughs> how many times you got up during the middle of the night? How many times you got spit up on? And how many times you had to change diapers? It's just unavoidable because of all the stuff that goes on in life. You'd think a group of ladies making a quilt would be able to get along. We talked about that last week. It's exciting when you're starting a quilt, right? Because you're, you're gathering all the paper, all, all the pieces and the, the patterns and everything, and then it gets excruciating. And then you pull other people, help me finish this quilt. Well, I think you ought to do it. No, oh, I chose each other. Oh, I'm leaving. <laughs> the struggles of the journey stress relationships. The struggles of our journey from Patagonia to Pittsburgh stress the relationships. So in the early days, Euodia and Syndike were getting along. They were a part of what Paul was doing. But somehow it went sideways. And maybe they were just getting weary. So Paul is writing this years later after he had been in Philippi and through him the church was established. And now he's writing them. Maybe they were sick. Maybe they were grieving the loss of somebody. And I call it the emotional resources were down. They just didn't have the emotional resources to deal with some of the struggles. And, and when, you're, when you're grieving, when you're, you're feeling weary, when you're getting sick, and, and you begin to, to um, just, you don't have the patience for other people as, like you did before. And suddenly now, the, uh, you know, it's just the struggles and the stuff keeps happening. So if you go back to the analogy of traveling from Patagonia to Pittsburgh, it's the stress of that trip takes its toll on relationships. When the food reserves get low, and now we're not getting everything, and, and you begin to look at what other people are eating, what they're doing, what they're not doing. You're just tired and weary and frustrated and all this stuff is going on and it puts stress on the relationships. And then the tendency is then to pick sides and to gossip and to slander and blame and shame and it just all goes south because we're still dealing in relationships. Even though we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we're still dealing with our, our stuff. Now let's go back to the statement that I made earlier, the capacity to get along with other people in the way that God wants us to get along with other people is by facing situations when we're not getting along and pushing through it until we learn how to get along and dealing with conflict becomes the norm in the way that God wants us to. So when God's working on, on okay, I'm going to start meddling. When God's working on your marriage... What he's not going to do is make life easy. What he's going to do is put you in situations when, you, when your character flaws are being exposed and humility needs to be exercised so that you can see where you need to grow and then you turn to the Lord and you grow. When he's trying to mold you into the parent that you're supposed to be, he will allow situations that will expose your inadequacies and your flaws. 
And then he says, give them to me. And let me develop in you the character traits that will, in the, that it will equip you to raise those kids. Amen. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> no, it's not exciting, but it's the way it works. What's exciting is when you turn to the Lord with those after they've been exposed and he peels it away, you surrender it and he develops that character in you. And a year later you look back because you face the same situation. You look back at how you handled it a year ago and now this is the way you handled it. And that's exciting because now you're handling it like Christ wants you to. But most people give up before they get there. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. So we need to accept that we're all going to get um, out of sort. How did I put it? We're all going to um, get sideways. There we go. We're all going to get sideways. It's a given. It all happens for all of us. Oh, and now, so the next bullet point. All of us get our nose out of joint. Do you, have you ever heard that phrase? My dad used to use it all the time. <laughs> so when um, we were having kids, when the second one came along, my parents came over to help out for a while. And my dad, for all of his faults, was really good with little kids. So he would come along, and while my mom and other people were ooing and aahing over the newborn, my dad would take the toddler, and he would go play with him. He would go do something with him, take him for a walk or... And then he'd come back to me and he says, yeah, um, he got his nose out of joint and he needed some attention. And I remember him using that phrase all the time. I'm going, and so as I'm, as I'm preparing this, I'm going, what does that mean? <laughs> I, so I, I looked it up and it refers to people when they would have been in a fight or an accident or something and their nose actually got, the cartilage got shifted. It's that, you know, they call it broken noses, but a lot of times it's not broken. It's the cartilage that is shifted, and, and, and it's ugly. If you look it up and you see a picture of it, it's, it's not good for anybody, let alone the person that got their nose out of joint. But the people around them are going, I can't even look at that. Go get your nose back in joint. I don't know how you do that either. <laughs> but you need to do it. And so it's... So my dad would say, they get their nose out. What they mean is they're sideways with, with what's going on and they're, they're frustrated and they're angry and they're just cantankerous. And my dad would do that. And then the toddler would come back and sure enough, you look at him, his nose is back in joint. And he's acting better. All of us do that. We get our nose out of joint. And, if, and here's the thing. At the point where you begin to think, okay, I, I, don't, I think I'm able to handle it. I don't think I'll ever get my nose out of joint again. God goes, okay. <laughs> Let me give you another situation that will get your nose out of joint. Because it's about character building. So we all do that. And we can never say it's not going to happen to us. So if you look at the scripture again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Euodia. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. They had gotten their noses out of joint. They had gotten sideways with each other. 
it, te it doesn't tell us anything about what it was that caused it. So we don't have any context. We don't know. What we know is that it was so important that the word of this disagreement had gotten all the way from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was writing from. There were big, there was, this was a big deal in the congregation, in the church at Philippi. For him to call these ladies out and tell them. It appears um, that it wasn't right or wrong because Paul had no problem with calling people out in his letters when they were doing something wrong. So it doesn't appear that it was a theological issue, that it was somebody had sinned against each other. We don't know. Um, but what we do know is these had been people who had worked alongside Paul. They were in the leadership of the church at Philippi. Who, uh, when Paul first arrived at Philippi, he, arrived, he uh, met a group of people, mostly ladies that were on a riverbank that were meeting and worshiping. They could have been there all the way back to there. They could have been with Paul in Philippi when he was out on the streets talking about Jesus in a very hostile time. They, they could have been there when Paul was confronted by this little slave girl who was filled with the demonic spirit that, she was, that people were taking advantage of. And finally he turned and he cast out the demon. They could have been standing right there alongside Paul. They could have been there watching Paul and Silas get arrested. And, and beaten and thrown into prison. Who knows, but they and others may have gathered by the prison where at midnight Paul and Silas began singing hymns, bloodied and bruised in the center of the prison. They could have been there when the earthquake came and threw open all the doors of the prison and the jailer got saved. They could have been there dressing Paul and Silas's wounds as they were recovering from all of this. They, they were, he knew them, and he knew them well, and he commends them for being his fellow workers along with some of the other leaders in the Philippi church. These were not just busybodies. These were people who had been there and gone through the trenches and helped Paul along the way. If they could get their nose out of joint, we have to watch ourselves. Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the first thing that Paul addresses is conflict within the church. All of us are going to get our nose out of joint. So what do we do? Number two, getting along in true unity is only through Christ. Amen. Getting along in true unity is only through Christ. I put this uh, scripture at another book of the Bible that the Holy Spirit wrote through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called. I challenge you to live in step with Jesus, is what he's saying. How? With all humility, not thinking more of yourself than you should, and with gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's not an accident that in verse 1, Paul says, I challenge you to live in step with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 2, 
It's immediately in the context of the relationships within the church. Why? Because it's a problem because the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So he attacks at the root. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager, active, focused on giving your life and energy to the unity and the bond of peace. So I put a bullet point there for you. Christian unity is not uniformity. It's not everybody being a clone. Um, it's not everybody dressing the same or looking the same or um, liking the same stuff. It's, it's, it's none of that. It's not the uniformity that often comes with the cult kind of experience. But rather, it's this broad difference. It's, it's, it's all of the di- various facets and, and one of the analogies that he uses as the body of Christ, it's, it's the fingers and the toes and the arms and the eyes and the ears and the mouth and the, the hair and the liver and you know, all the parts working together, all different but working together. It's not uniformity, but rather being united by a loyalty to Christ. Amen. And so in two of the verses he uses, in verse 1 he uses, um, um, stand firm thus in the Lord. And I encourage you to circle that word or write it down or highlight it or something, that phrase, in the Lord. And then in verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The only possible way for us to function as God wants is in the Lord. What that means is a loyalty to Christ. A loyalty that means I will, on my highest commitment, regardless of what happens, what I will die for is the Lord above all things. So um, I was never good at geometry, but I thought I would. I, I remember something called a triangle <laughs> from 10th grade geometry. So I thought I would use it. So I, I, and I put it there. So here's what I want you to do. Th- this is... The pathway of getting along in true unity. Put God, right the God at the top. God has to be at the type. God, Christ, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, however you want to phrase it, has to be at the top. The only way to get along, the only way to accomplish anything is in the Lord, loyalty, complete loyalty to God. Lower left, put your name. Me. Our responsibility is to have loyalty to God. And in the third corner, put others. He says, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. What we generally identify is we got problems. Syntyche and Euodia have problems along that bottom line. Secular counseling focuses on the relationship between me and others, me and others, me and others. So if you go in for counseling and it talks about, well, if you say it this way, you talk this way, you know, if you try this and, and, and it's always along that bottom line. Here's the problem. You can't solve sin problems with secular psychology. If it's a sin problem, you need the Lord. The way that we gain unity is not solving problems between ourselves. The way that we gain unity is by growing towards God. 
And the closer we get to God, the closer... Notice how this works. Again, I'm not a geometry person. I don't know what this is called. All I know is that the closer you get to God, the closer you get to the other person. Amen. And that's the only way. So we got to stop trying to solve the problem with the other person first. We need loyalty to God. And so he says, agree in the Lord. It's not that we become... It's not that our differences don't matter, it doesn't, but it means that our primary focus is on being in loyal, having a loyalty to commitment to God. In the learning community on Thursday night, we were talking about how do you stand strong? How do you stand strong? And Vanessa um, said, um, yeah, how do, you know, one of the struggles that um, some of us have are, is in, um, we want to please people when God wants us to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that is, right? How many people like other people being mad at them? Let me see your hands. <laughs> okay. If I see any hands, I'm reporting you. <laughs> because we, we, don't, we don't like people to be mad at us. But sometimes when you make choices to be loyalty, loyal to God, other people don't like it. What do you do with that? And, and there are times when I, words come out of my mouth and I know this is God. And as she said that, here's what, here's what came out of my mouth. The more intimate you get with God, the more aligned you get with God, the, the more your heart is for him and you become jealous for him and he becomes more important, then you're able not to give in to what people want because you're so focused on him. And that's my experience. That has been my experience because there, there are times when I know I got this choice to make and I really don't want these people to be unhappy, but I know that if I make that choice, I'm walking away from Christ. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. Because the intimacy and alignment is too precious. Mm-hmm. And so that's what gives us the ability. That's what gives us... It's also what gives you the ability to work things out with other people. Because now I'm secure in Christ. I'm able to... And, and i able to say, I love you, but we need to work this out. It also takes a lot of the selfishness out. Some of the, think about some of the arguments you've had with people that you love. Over the 45 years we have been married, I look back and go, how in the, what in the world were we thinking about arguing about that stuff? I remember one time we had dropped one of our kids off at college and I asked Sheila, can you back? For those of you that are younger than me, we used to have these things called maps. <laughs> they were actually pieces of paper on which they drew lines to show you where the roads were and what roads that you should take. And I asked Sheila if she would um, look at the map and tell me which way to turn. And, she, and, and we got into this massive argument over, well, I, you should have looked at the map earlier. Well, I didn't look at the map earlier, so can you check it? No, I'm not going to check it now because you should have looked at it early. But I didn't check. Yes, I should have. But no. And, and we, we, for the next six hours driving back from Indiana, it was like an 
refrigerator. Here's an icebox because we weren't talking to each other because we wanted the other person to look at a map. <laughs> what kind of stupidity is that? Do you know why? Because we were both grieving over leaving our child at college. Now, if we turn to the Lord and go, God, what in the world is going on here? And he would say, just shut up for an hour. <laughs> right? Because we, we don't solve relational issues when we're just looking at relational issues. We only solve it in the Lord. Amen. And so we have to go to him and ask him, what is going on and how do we solve it? Here's Jesus' desire. John 17, turn with me there. John 17, page 903 in the Pew Bible. Jesus' final time with his disciples. He's talked with them, he's given them instructions, he washed their feet, and now he's praying for them before he goes to the cross. In John 17, begin and we'll look at verse 11 and then 20 to 23. Verse 11 I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them loyal to you. Keep them committed to you above all things which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus is saying, my desire is for them to be unified, to get along. Not to agree on everything, but to get along for his purposes. And then he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So he's talking about us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One of the um, correct criticisms of groups of people who call themselves churches is the lack of love among themselves. Because Jesus says, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. So this is not just this kind of issue. This is this issue. That the world may know so we have to let go of all of our stuff and get complete loyalty to God so that all this other stuff, we resolve. So that all this stuff, you know, it doesn't mean we don't disagree and have healthy debates, but it means the selfishness is not in the way. Because that's really the root of so much of our problem is my preferences, what I want, or my insecurity, or what I, I, my reputation, all those things to get in the way. And he says, just toss that aside because our value is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. We trust him to do all that he wants to do. So he says that they may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Unity. Not about 
being clones, not about uniformity, but having a oneness that is based on Christ. Well, how do we get back into true unity when we're divided? Now, here, let me, here's a confession. I'm not an expert at this. I haven't arrived. We never arrive. We still have other layers. We still have other ways that we need to get better at being unified. Um, and understanding that the context is spiritual warfare. Satan's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the ways he does is, is he infiltrates and he tries to get, it at, get us at odds with one another, sideways with each other. Right? And so during World War II, there was um, for the, uh, the Allied forces, not that, yeah, Allied forces in the Pacific, there was um, a radio program and there was a lady called Tokyo Rose that would broadcast to all of the American troops in the South Pacific saying, uh, you know, trying to sow discord. And she would give false um, reports about the Japanese are winning and you guys are losing. You're all going to go to prison camps. And, oh, and by the way, your girlfriends and your wives back home, they're out dancing with other men. And, 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 and there was a, another one, Axis Sally, over in Germany doing the same kinds of things. How many times do we as Christians have the enemy whispering in our ear and we believe it? That person, did you hear what that person said about you? Instead of going to the Lord and saying, what's that about? Oh, no, no, that's the enemy. Don't worry about that. Or go to that person, just love on them and care about them. So here, here's what Paul says. Very quickly. First of all, every, this is to everyone. He says in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The foundation for being in unity is standing firm in the Lord. That's for everyone. You have to have that foundation. Have to have that foundation in the Lord. Always look at the Lord. Always growing up on that left side of that triangle toward the Lord. Loyalty to Christ. Christ is my focus rather than me. Christ's truth is my focus rather than my way or me winning. Christ's purposes is my focus rather than my happiness. Christ's values and his standards are my focus rather than what I want or it, what I think I deserve. Christ's purposes. That's the way that we can live in unity. Because if I'm, so I'm, I deal with, with some people that have completely other beliefs and if, if we can both be searching for the truth of Christ, we can be in unity. Because it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what you think. All that matters is what Christ thinks. All that matters is what Christ says. And, and if we're both searching for that truth, we're climbing the sides of that triangle, and we can get closer together, we can have unity. But if one of those two is not, does not have Christ at the top, is not looking for the truth of Christ, but winning or having their way, or wanting something else, or giving in to some other kind of sin, we can't have unity. Amen. Because unity only comes in Christ. So he says, for everyone, it has to be standing firm in the Lord. And the difficulty is my selfish nature gets in the way when I don't even realize it. 
When I think I have good intentions, if I'm not going to the Lord and seeing from where he sits and hearing his truth, then I will deceive myself into believing that I'm being unselfish when I'm being the most selfish person in the world. Just ask my wife. Because no matter how close, we can get very, very selfish. In the Lord. It's about living out that scripture that we memorized a while back in Luke 9.23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Climbing up the side of that triangle, I'm putting myself aside. Take up his cross daily, the things of God, loyalty to Christ. And then follow him. Walk in step with him. Number two, he addresses the two sisters in Christ the two co-workers with him in Christ. Selflessly resolve the contention. Get yourself out of the way. We get our nose out of joint when our selfishness comes to the front. Mm -hmm. Somehow, someway, these two, it wasn't right or wrong, it wasn't sin, it wasn't any of that. Paul would have called that out. Somehow, they got their nose out of joint. And so he says to them, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. This is not a suggestion. That word entreat means to exhort, to encourage, to forcefully tell, have some kind of strong emphasis or feeling to do something. And so Paul, as their spiritual father, is not giving them an option. He is saying, do this. As a member of the family of God in Philippi, get it together, come together, and get your nose back in joint. And because in verse 3, he says, I've labored side by side with them in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. They were all unified together. They were not fringe attenders. They had been with him. How could it have grown to be such a big deal? Because we're human, and we're sinful, and we're selfish, and we get weary, and we get overwhelmed. I put three statements there. Every issue is a little issue compared to the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter who had been hurt. I mean, one of them could have been 90% right. Didn't matter. Because every issue is a little issue compared to the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter what I want. But every issue is a big issue when it disrupts the cause of Christ. So it doesn't matter it, whether it's a little thing, a color of the carpet or what you want the wall painted or, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you like Pastor Herb's shirt. Or, you know, it doesn't matter if it's disrupting the cause of Christ. Amen. We are to do, and this is a, a phrase those of you that are new won't recognize, but I used to use it a lot. WIT stands for whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. It's shorthand that I use in my journal a lot. We are to do whatever it takes to agree in the Lord for the cause of Christ. Whatever it takes. Whatever sacrifice I have to make without sacrificing truth. In order to have unity among those who are following Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Flip back a page. This is not the first time he's come to this issue. He's been dealing with it all through the first three chapters. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, Philippians 2 verse 1, 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There it is. You see, it's a core element of being the body of Christ. Unity. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Not uniformity, but unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You know what that does? Can, can you put that uh, triangle back up? I know it's going to take you a little bit. But the triangle. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. When we're acting selfishly, we stay down here. In fact, we move farther down. And as we move farther down, we move farther away from that other person. And it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. But in everything, he says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. By being humble and counting other people as more significant than myself, I'm climbing towards God and I'm resolving the issue. Number three. And in some ways, this is the hardest of all. So the first in instruction was to, the two, to everybody. The second was to the two sisters in Christ. And then he does not give the church the option to stand back and go, those two need to resolve this. They're the ones that are wrong. They need to, you know, and, and just from the sideline, just throw things at them. Here's what he says. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. I don't know who true, com true companion is. Nobody knows. The scholars don't know. It's somebody at the church of Philippi. He's saying, somebody get in there. So now, how, how many of you wake up in the morning going, I hope there's a cat fight around me somewhere <laughs> that I can step in the middle of? Right? No. We try to stay as far away from that as possible because we're, you know why? Because we're protecting ourselves. We care more about ourselves than we care about other people. Here he says, get in the middle of it. Somebody help these women. This is the interventions that the 12-step groups talk about. Sometimes you need somebody else. Sometimes you need a third person. Even in the closest relationship, the best relationship, sometimes you need somebody who's an objective person. Now, as he writes this, and one of the leaders stands up in the congregation of Philippi, and they, they're reading through this letter, and they get to this part. And they're reading chapter 1 and chapter 2, and they're going, oh, wow, amen, praise God, hallelujah. And they get to chapter 3, oh, man, that's incredible, having that kind of intimacy with God. And then they get to chapter 4, and he starts talking. And, and what I imagine is the two women looking down at their feet, for verses one, verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, the other leaders in the church starting to look at their feet. I'm not doing that. I, well, it's got to be Pastor Herb. I mean, I'm not touching that. I, and everybody just kind of backs away from that because that's not what any of us want to do. And yet if we're moving up that, we're going... And here's what I've learned, is God, if we're, as we're growing up that side and we're... God will indicate who the person is that needs to step in. Amen. And they'll put it on our hearts and they'll put it on our minds. And, 
and to lovingly come and say, I'm not here to take anybody's side. I'm just here because Christ deserves us all to be at one. What do we need to do here? Let's pray. Let's think. Let's look. What do we need to do to resolve this? It's easier and more tempting to give up on people than it is to come alongside and help. Now, hear me clearly. There are some people who will not let you do this. Just, I, so I am not here to guilt anybody. I got people in my life who will not let me do this. I've tried every one of these steps. They refuse. It doesn't work with everybody. It just doesn't. But we need to give our full effort in every situation to see if it will. Because we don't know. We just don't know. Oh, there's a lot more that we can say. (laughs) Learning community this week, we're going to talk about Jesus handling conflict and different styles that he used in in a way to help us identify how to do exactly this. But none of that helps unless we're moving up the triangle towards him. And that means surrendering, listening, obeying, um, admitting that we're wrong, admitting that we have done things, admitting that we're not perfect and, and being willing to speak the truth in love. Would you bow your heads? As I was talking today, were there some people or situations that came to mind, but not just came to mind, but that you sense God nudging you that you need to do something. And you may even be sitting there going, why did I come to worship today? (laughs) Now that I heard it, I got to do something with it. Here's my encouragement. On the other side can be incredible joy and strengthened relationships. There will be some that refuse, but the ones that cooperate will be incredible joy. I like to think that somebody came alongside Yodia and Syntyche and they were able to pull them together and they were able to weep together, pray together and on the next worship time they were able to, people were able to see the unity and that it, was, it had been resolved and then it rippled out into the community around Philippi that wow, these people do know how to love each other and that God was glorified. That's what we live for. We push through the difficulty of dealing with it, but on the other side, God glorified us enjoying His joy. So Lord, I pray that you would lead us to climb up that side of the triangle towards you more and more and more, that we can hear and see what you do. God, I pray that you bring to mind any people, relationships that we personally need to address or people that we know that you want us to come alongside of to help. Um, And I pray for us as a congregation that you would help us to live this more and more. 
that we will be the salt and the light and the aroma that permeates throughout the South Hills and beyond. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.